Thank you to our worship team. You guys are great. Thank you for uh, leading us. You guys are so so grateful for all you do. Thank you for all your commitments. All right. In the future, when you experience all these blessings and curses that I have listed for you, and when you are living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, take to heart all these instructions. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all your heart and all your soul all the commands I've given you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all nations where he has scattered you. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3. Now I'm jumping down to verse 19. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now this, as you know, if you know your scriptures at all, is the final dissertation uh, command and word of Moses to God's people, the Israelites, just before they went into the promised land. Now I want you to notice that prophetic word that is in there that God, Moses, had, that God knew and Moses knew as the message was going forth And it says, in the future, when you experience. You're going to experience God's blessings, but you're also going to get the discipline that he promised when you screw up. This is what God says to him. And he says, I already know you will, and I know you're going to be dispersed, but I'm a God of mercy, I'm a God of forgiveness, I'm a God of restoration. And therefore, when you come to me, and you understand that your obedience to what I say is above all else, I will move on your behalf. God says, I will move on your behalf. The messenger of God, Moses, as he brings that message to conclusion, and he's bringing forth the action steps of the people, today you have a choice. Please choose right. Choose life. Choose God above all things. This is the word of God. This challenge. Now, some people will say, well, that's Old Testament. That's... God spoke that to Israel. Well, as we move through this and we understand God's teaching something to us and we will see it in the New Testament that it is very applicable to us. Today, church, there is a life of obedience that God expects of His people. God expects a life of obedience and He promises blessings if you are obedient and discipline or curses if you aren't. (laughs) those of us who have accepted Christ our Savior are now God's covenant people there's some people that have this confusion and stuff about the descendants of Abraham and I want you to know if you've received Christ as your Savior you are now 
a descendant of Abraham, adopted into the family of God by the covenant that God made with us through Jesus Christ. God's word says so. We are God's chosen people. Gentiles, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And God intended for this in the very beginning. When he made the covenant with Abraham, he said it will be a blessing to all nations. No race or creed of people has been outside of God's plan for redemption ever. (laughs) Galatians chapter 3, listen to this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. You know, I've been hearing that theme and what we've been speaking for three weeks now, I think. Maybe four. It's our responsibility to put this on. You put on Christ, right? Like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. This is God's Word. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That's great stuff right there, man. That is huge. God's saying, I have given this covenant to you now. It is extended beyond the lineage of Abraham and his biological descendants to all peoples everywhere. My covenant with you is to be my people. Therefore, those promises are from God. Therefore, I say it is not too late for the United States of America, but my faith does not hinge upon the rise or fall of any nation. We are God's people, and we supersede all nations, for our God supersedes all nations. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Church, we need to keep that in proper perspective and know that we are God's people first. God's people first, above all else. All else. And God says, when you put me first... I'll bless you. If you don't, you're going to suffer. Church is screwed up, man. We've messed up a big time. And we have put all kinds of stuff in front of God. And He is challenging us to put Him first. And we need to more than ever before. God expected obedience from Israel and He expects obedience from me and you. Philippians chapter 1. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. What really matters. Church, please hear it. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. There it is. We're just given like this little outline. There's no question that God has called His church, challenged them and encouraged them to continue to grow in our faith, to be stronger in our faith, to be transformed by our faith. None of us have arrived God is moving to grow us, change us, and make us new every day. In in this uh, growth and maturing call, expectation, demand of God, this Word of God teaches us 
that we will learn as we grow in understanding what really matters. As I've walked with God through the years, what matters has really changed. Things change regularly as I see things from a different perspective. As God grows me up and he's maturing me, it's like, Dave, you were so far off. I'm embarrassed when I look back in the years of who I was and the things that I did. I'm talking about in my Christian life. I'm ashamed of my life before Christ, but I'm embarrassed of some of my life in Christ. And it was because of my immaturity. As I grow with him and I see this, he's given us this incredible opportunity. He says, like, I, you need to know what really matters so that you can live a pure and blameless life. See, the pure and blameless life that we are called to live, every one of us, happens as we grow and understand more and more of who Christ is, what he's done for me, what he's doing in me, and what he wants to do in me. Therefore, as I grow in this, I begin to see life differently. I see people differently. I see situations differently. I'll tell you right now that if what was happening in our nation right now happened 15 years ago, I wouldn't know how to handle it. Today I step back and I can see things differently because of who Christ is in my life. What God's calling us into. See, there's a need to understand this relationship with God through Jesus Christ on our part and growing in it so that our lives will show Jesus to this world who is lost, hopeless, and looking for answers. A righteous character is a product of what Jesus Christ does in our life. All right? You can't fake Jesus. Ephesians 4. These are our discipleship verses. I'm reading a couple verses here at the beginning, well, in the beginning portions here, that we've read a lot of times, and we're going to read them today. It's important for us as we lay that foundation for what God's saying. Now, these are the gifts... Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So in the scriptures, he tells us there's the fivefold offices of leaders in the church that have been called by God with distinct gifts and purposes as they equip the body of Christ. That's what he goes on to tell us right here. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come in such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. All right. I'm going to keep reading in a minute, but I don't know how many of you all stood next to the door posts there in your house as you were a kid and had the mark there with the year. And then you grew and you grew and you grew in there, you know? It's Jesus is the standard. It's where it's at. And God's saying, you need to grow. You're right here, and there's Jesus. Come on. This isn't good enough. Let's continue to grow, mature. There's growth stages. Nobody expects their kindergartner to be six foot tall. Right? God doesn't have that expectation of me and you. But He expects... That when we stand up next to the doorpost, there's something that has changed. That we've grown. 
that there's something more Christ-like about us, more in the image of our Savior than we've ever been before. Then, going on with the reading, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Man, we need to underline that. If you're a memorizing person, you should memorize that verse right there. Who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We need each other. It's not like Pastor Dave and the church. It's like us, the body of Christ, and we need each other. And we need to do exactly what God has asked us to do. Whatever that is, we need to grow in it and be the best at it we could ever be. Because we're representing Christ in everything. So there's no question as we read Scripture, it's over and over again. I mean, we could just, all I could do, and I've done it through these years as God's talking to us about this, we could continue to look at Scripture that talk to us about growing in our faith, becoming Christ-like, maturing from babies into adulthood, right? I mean, you all know that, I hope. God's Word continuously speaks to us about the need for us as believers to mature in our faith and to become Christ-like. We all agree with that? How you doing? <laughs> there is no question that God's asking us to become Christ-like. And this growing up that we are called to do helps others grow up with us. So the way that happens just in a real tangible way is like when I've screwed up and I've confessed it to you when I was like, you know what, I used to think this way and now I know that God's word says this. And, and we need to make sure that we are growing in our faith, confessing when we've been wrong, encouraging others when they do right, and walking in this faith so that we can grow together and become the body of Christ that God has asked us to become. And all of us doing our part for the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. So I want to ask a question. This is not an action step, so don't like think that the rapture is happening or something and we're getting out of here. Here, Here's a question to get us started in a new growth spurt. Um, You know, we remember when our kids were little, we had three boys, Dave, Dale, and Derek, and um, they would grow through growth spurts. And if you remember when this happened to you and maybe your kids or grandkids, you can watch it happening. It's like you don't like see it all at once, but it's like everything just starts happening. There's that thing that just takes off. And it's crazy because there's this transformation that happens. So we don't have an age that everybody gets like, well, when you're three, you're going to be this, right? We, we mature at different levels. And you know this if you had more than one kid. As they mature, there's different stages they go through, but all of them go through those stages to become the next stage in their maturity. But there's moments where these growth spurts happen. I remember when my friend Marv, he's my wife's cousin, he was my friend growing up before I ever knew her. Um, we, we like, at the end of school, we didn't hang out for that summer. So school started again, and he came over, and he was like, 
my height and he went up to six foot tall in one summer. He never grew again. That was in, that was in middle school. All right? I was a late bloomer. I was only like 5'9 as a freshman in high school. And after I graduated, I grew, I think, three inches after I graduated from high school. All right? So it's like we mature at different levels. But let's, let's think about this growth spirit in our spiritual life. What new thing are you going to do to grow in your faith? See, if you just keep doing what you've been doing, nothing's going to change at all. Period. So what new thing are you going to do to grow in your faith? We know Jesus is our example, that we are to measure up to the fullness of Christ, we're to live like Him and to be like Him. Reading one more of those verses, 1 John chapter 2, and we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey His commandments, that person is a liar, is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Okay. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, He said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the commandments that I've given. So Jesus tells His disciples to go make disciples, to become Christ followers, to become Christ-like. That's what it's all about. That's the entire call of God for us, is to become Christ-like. So, if you're going to become Christ-like, you probably need to start doing something new in your spiritual life to be more Christ-like. So, looking at Jesus in the Scriptures, and in studying His life specifically, there were things that He did to live in a constant surrender to the will of the Father. He lived for the will of the Father. Always. One thing I know that he did as I studied his life, and we're just going to talk about this one thing for a little while here, just for us. He spent time alone with the Father. He spent time alone with God. Every week, as you know, we ask those accountability questions at the beginning of the service, and one of those is, did you spend time alone with God this week? Now, I don't expect you to spend time alone with God every single week. It's great if you can, but at least like once a month. We don't know in Scripture how often Jesus did it. It just says that He often did it. It doesn't say this was a daily practice of Jesus, a weekly practice, or a monthly practice. We're not promoting any legalistic stuff here, so just relax. What we are looking at is something that Jesus did, which means we need to do it. So there are, I'm going to reference six distinct, purposeful reasons Jesus spent time alone with the Father. Out of God's Word. Jesus spent time alone with God throughout the Gospels. And we're going to begin with number one. Jesus spent time alone with God in prayer. Now, that's a very generic thing, and we would say, of course, that's what we all do. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So you see, there was this regular, consistent practice that Jesus had in his spiritual life of connecting with the Father. And it was prayer. 
Now, prayer covers a ton of stuff, and I know that. There's intercessory prayer. There's needs prayers. There's all kinds of stuff in Scripture. That's a whole study in and of itself. But when we see this, this is our Savior Jesus, and we are to be Christ-like, and therefore He said He went into the wilderness to pray. You remember when Jesus Himself was teaching, He said, go into your closet. So there's something about Him teaching us that there's moments we need to be alone with God. Alone with God. No one else. Just me and God. What happens oftentimes in church, and maybe not just in church, but when you're with other people, we hear something from God, and we're like, whoa, he needs to hear that. (laughs) I hope she's listening. I'm going to... Send this message to my kids. They need to hear it. See, when you're alone, you can't do that. It's like, whoa, who needs to do that? It's you. It's you. God wants some alone time so He can finally work on you. Just being with Him. I could, I don't, I'm not trying to make light of this, but you know, maybe God says, man, you're a piece of work. (laughs) and I am going to work on you because when I change you people are going to know there's a God (laughs) amen seriously man if something hasn't changed in your life recently you need to listen better because the Holy Spirit is at work in us and He's transforming us into Christ likeness and if you're the same You're not changing. You're not listening. You're not moving in obedience because our God is a change agent. Like it or not, He is changing you. And if you're not changing, that's your fault. And it's not okay. Remember God saying, choose life. Do it my way. Choose life. Do it my way. See, it was a regular, consistent practice of Jesus. The second thing he did was he spent time alone in prayer before making important decisions. Jesus did. See, sometimes we disconnect from the humanity of Christ and just say he's God. He is God, but he was all man. Seriously, we need to understand that. It's so important for us to get it. God's word says this in Luke 6. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. Hmm. So if Jesus needs to spend some time alone with God to make big decisions in life, probably you and I do as well. It's not just, uh, you know, eh, we'll see what happens. And, oh, I trust God and I'm going to draw straws and whoever it is is great. You know, let's do this thing. He, he didn't pick his favorites. He picked who the Father told him to pick. That's pretty important, church. So I look at that and I'm like, wow. When, when Jesus was seeking the direction and the will of the Father to make his decisions... He spent all night in prayer. Hmm. See, when we spend our time facing big decisions in our life, needing to spend some time alone with God is critically important and not just leaving it to chance 
I cannot tell you how many people have told me about decisions like, well, I'm going to apply for this job. If it's God's will, I'm going to get it. I'm going to apply for this mortgage. If it's God's will, I'm going to get it. I'm going to buy this car. I'm going to do this. If it's God's will, it'll just happen. No, stop it. We need to know what God's saying to us. You don't just leave it to chance. Those banks don't care if you can eat food or not. They're not looking at your budget. They could care less. All they're looking at is, can you give me your money? So we're like just trusting everything out there. Then we're like, well, I just don't feel it. Please hear this right when I say this, church, please. I don't feel it anymore in this church. I'm going to go find something else. Like, really? Seriously? You, you think a decision like that is just a how I feel today thing? Or who I like today? Or who I don't like? Or whatever. Come on. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit's supposed to be leading our lives. We make decisions like just like that. I'm talking about huge decisions. Okay. Let's just say, like, whatever decisions you're facing, you need to spend time alone with God. And if you're married, the two of you need to spend time alone with God. And I promise if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, when you get back together, those decisions will agree. If they don't agree, you need to go back and spend more time with God. God's not the author of confusion. He doesn't divide houses. He is a uniting, creative God. When we are in agreement with Him, we will be in agreement with one another. That's His Word. Jesus spent time with God for rest, and He taught this to His apostles. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. They come back. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and He told them, and, and told Him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. When is the last time that you went alone just to be a time of rest? See, in our culture, our resting uh, is driven. I'm a doer, man. If I get out of my normal routine, I'm doing something else. I'm finding something to do and be active and all that stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing stuff. But when's the last time you took a time to be alone with God and just rest? No agenda, no nothing. Just breathe. See, we, in our culture, go on vacations. But on vacations, we just go do something else. Hmm. So, oftentimes when Jesus attempted to be alone, it was disrupted by people. This account I just read to you, where Jesus said, let's go rest, we can't even eat food, come on guys, let's get in the boat, let's sneak away over here. People found him. If you keep reading right there, people pressed upon him again. It's, it's one of the hardest things to do is spend time alone with God. It's one of my most challenging disciplines of my life. It is. If I put something on my calendar, when I put something on my calendar saying, this is my time alone with God, when I do that, I guarantee you something is going to try and disrupt that day. Every time. Every single time. It's without fail. 
It's the same way. If you were just going to start reading your Bible, if you planned to read your Bible and say, like, all right, I'm going to get up 10 minutes early and I'm going to spend that time first in the shower and have coffee so I'm awake, and then I'm going to spend 10 minutes reading my Bible before I start my day, I guarantee you something's going to happen. It's going to happen. See, there's, there's, the, there's this, this disruptive force that wants to stop us from being with God because when we are alone with God, we are changed. You can't be alone with God and come out the same. It's impossible. See, in the very beginning before the law, God said the seventh day would be the Sabbath, the day of rest. That doesn't mean you have to sit in a hammock. I don't think God did. When you look into the Hebrew translation and all that, God enjoyed his creation. That's what he did on the seventh day. He enjoyed everything that he had made. But he wasn't making, creating, or doing. He was enjoying. So start by looking at your rest and begin to look at it like as a Sabbath time with God in that you enjoy what God has done. Make that your criteria for a day of rest, a time of rest, to enjoy what God has done. That may look different for for all of us. But whatever it is, you need to do that. It's critically important. If God did it, you need to do it. I need to do it. It's in His Word. Jesus spent time alone with God and dealing with grief. The death of John the Baptist. In Matthew 14, it says this, As soon as Jesus heard the news, He left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. He hurt. He lost someone someone of significance in his life, John the Baptist. He knew who he was. (laughs) So, what I see happening in our culture more and more is we are tending to just ignore death and just kind of put it aside and go on with life and stay active. And what I have seen through the years is people who like put it aside and ignore it it will surface down the road. And it doesn't surface well. We have to take time to deal with grief. We have to. It's real. It's something that we experience and feel. And some people say, well, I don't feel it. You will. Go and be alone with God and talk to Him about it. Guarantee you'll feel it. See, it's not just something that we ignore. When Jesus is teaching on the, on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, as he taught that, one of the statements he made was, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's an expectation of mourning. We grieve. We should grieve. I'm grieving for our nation right now. <laughs> I have felt the burden for our nation this week like I've never felt before. Never grieving and knowing that God's the answer and nobody's looking I mean the church isn't even looking I don't you know, I hope you know what I mean by that it's like across the whole spectrum it's like where's God in all of this why aren't we looking to him why isn't anyone standing up and saying we need Jesus in our nation 
I mean, there are isolated points, but it's not the voice of dominance that's coming out, church. And as you know, we lost our mom a week ago today. And everybody says, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm okay. I I really am okay. I want you to know that. I really am okay. I know where she is, but I still hurt inside. She was my mom. Spent time with my wife this week, and we went through a bunch of pictures, just looking at it, thinking about it. Shed some tears looking at them, thinking, that's my mom. Did I like everything about her? No. Did I love her? Absolutely. I don't, I'm not saying any of that disrespectfully. I want you to see that people that we don't always align with or agree with, we can still grieve over. It's something we need to do. That's all I'm going to say. Let's, let's move on. Jesus spent time alone with God early in the morning in an isolated place. Now, let me just read the verse and then... It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So I know that I encourage you, and I do, especially as we're growing in our faith. So let me put this in a context for us so we, we know where we're at. Our accountability questions are based upon um, calling new believers and immature Christians, and that is not a disrespect to anybody. I hope you understand that. God asked me to ask those questions to help people to begin to establish foundations in their life to grow by. If all you're doing is still, if you started five years ago spending five minutes a day with God um, and that's all you're doing still, uh, you need to grow up. That's all I'm saying. It's not a matter of time. See, it's a matter of being with God. And and that's the call. So I wanted to make sure I put that in the context because as we look at what God's saying to us in his word, I've encouraged many of you as we've walked into this and saying, spending time, shut off your radio, spend the time in your car driving to work or whatever with God, okay? That's great to do because when you're starting off on your faith and you're new at it, your, your life is full already. Now you're trying to put Jesus in there and it's like my life's already full so I'm struggling finding a balance in life. So we have to start removing things from the plate to be able to add things to the plate. Thanksgiving just passed. Christmas just passed. So don't ever give me salad. Don't ever give me bread. It's a space taker and I don't want it. I want to get the good stuff, right? All right. So when we look at our, our lives, we have to begin to remove the salad and bread. <laughs> Get rid of that stuff that's just a space taker. You don't need it. Now I know you need some green stuff. It's okay. But you know what I mean. Like there's stuff that we just have that takes up our space of our time in our life, right? It does. And it's definitely not necessary. So we need to remove things so that we can add stuff, so that we can be with God, so that we can grow and become Christ-like. So when Jesus teaches us and shows us and what we read in Mark chapter 1, at daybreak, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I, I led into that to say that even though you may spend time in your car, your office, your uh, bedroom, your living room, whatever you do to spend time alone with God, there's always interruptions. So therefore, Jesus knew that, and he went to an isolated place. 
isolated. That's a pretty cool word. Like, no one can get me here. No interruptions. Nothing can interrupt. So, like, I have a place on Mount Lemmon I go because there's no phone service. <laughs> Y'all have my number, and if you don't have it, you can have it. I don't care. It's 520-405-6929. Text me anytime or whatever. Call me. I put it on silent at night. I've learned that it's not that big of a crisis. I can deal with you tomorrow. Um, but I'm just telling you, I don't care. But my phone goes off all the time, you know, but it's my, my portable office, and I treat it like that. It's good, but I need to get away from it. So when I go up there, it's like I want to go and be with God. There's this place that I know there's no service. It's great. Because if I'm with God and all of a sudden I feel a silent vibration of my phone, I'm like, I should look at that. I'm not going to look at that. What if someone needs something? (laughs) No, I'm not going to look at that. God, I'm like, wait, is that Kim? Does she need, has something happened? You know what I mean? No interruptions. And I know not everybody's a morning person, and I hear that from people. I'm just not a morning person. It's like, ah, oh. all right, fine. That's fine. I am a morning. I love the early mornings. I love it. There's nothing like it. There is like this peace in the morning like no other time of the day. It's true. You ought to get up and see it sometime. <laughs> Have your coffee and walk outside. Jesus did this early before the sun came up. The east is over here. The sun actually comes up that way. It doesn't start right there. <laughs> so, there. All right, now, I'm, I'm being serious now. Uh, that wasn't being serious. I'm being serious now. See, before Jesus, most of us started our life here when the sun was there and went that way right? Because men love darkness because their deeds were evil. And we spent the time in the darkness. That's what we did. God's called us to the light. And so I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you, I really am, to make time for God in the morning. I'm not telling you have to get up at 3 in the morning tomorrow. Just relax. Again, no legalism here at all. If you get up at noon, get up at 11. Okay? (laughs) All I'm telling you is, Jesus spent time early in the morning to be with the Father in an isolated place. And I want to encourage you to do that. Find an isolated place place to be with God alone. Okay. Jesus also spent time alone. This is the sixth one if you're keeping track and we're at the end and I'm over. I already know that. He spent time alone with God in dealing with crisis. In the garden, the night that he would be betrayed. Luke 22. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. In that prayer, we see the, the, the humanity of Christ. He was like, God, I, I don't want to go through what I'm facing. I don't want to deal with what's coming at me. But if that's your will, I'll do it. And see, he, he asked others to pray for him 
and he asked them to pray with him, but then he left them right there and he went over here because he knew this was a moment that he himself, after all of his time of surrendering to the Father's will, had to surrender to the Father's will. All those other surrenders were leading to this moment of surrender. This is the life of Jesus, our Lord and Savior we're talking about. Don't you think the moments of surrender that God has called you to are leading to something more and bigger and significant? So we can't like take it lightly about these moments of surrender no matter what it is that God's asking us about. Okay, we better be done. Stand with me. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today? If He is not, you need Him. What new thing will you do to become more like Christ? What new thing are you going to do? You need to have a plan. What topic do you need to spend time alone with God about? Prayer? Decisions? Rest? Grief? Early morning isolation time? Or are you dealing with a crisis? I mean, if Jesus needed to spend time alone with God in those areas, I think we do. And if you're dealing with any one of those or multiple of those, you need it. When are you going to do it? Why don't we start right now? There's an altar right here. You can be alone with God. See, Jesus just went a stone's throw away from everybody, and he was just alone with the Father. So today, let's begin alone with him right here, right now. Come on. You know if God's speaking to you, come forward. If your heart's good and you're ready to go out and begin this new week with him and living in full obedience of becoming Christ-like, then God dismiss us with your blessing over our life. We praise you and thank you. It is in Jesus' name we ask these things, Lord. Amen.